this morning I'd like to uh, continue to talk about connecting to the power source of being the church that God wants us to be. We've been talking about what kind of church does God want at Mifflinburg? What does God want here for us as a church? And what does he want for us as individuals? I know we started out by talking about being a listening church and uh, listening to the Holy Spirit that God has something to say to the church every day and every moment. God has something to say to us if we're listening. It's been amazing to me and pretty clear how every message that I have worked on um, to prepare uh, about the kind of church God wants, it always brings me to that place of listening, listening to what God's Spirit says to us and having that attitude of hunger and thirst and how important that is and how true it is also of another quality of our church that I want to talk about today. God wants us to be a family church, a family church. That's a broad term, family. God wants us to be a church that every person can feel welcome coming to. Every person in this community can feel welcome to come in and hear and listen and encounter God's presence. A church that is open and welcoming and genuinely caring about people. No matter who they are or where they come from or what they believe, they can come to this place and hear God's truth. That we will speak the truth in love, but we will welcome every person to be a part of that. We understand that family means that we have a commitment to the spiritual strength and the spiritual lives of every person that comes through this door. We have an obligation, whether they are a strong believer and have been a believer a long time or they are so far away from God, but somehow they stumbled into this building or somebody drug them in here and they came through that door, that we have an obligation as God's people to see them as people that need the Lord and that we must have a heart and an attitude and a spirit that reaches out to them to minister to them and love them and and show them God's great love. Living out that faith full of grace, living out that faith with purpose, purpose and unity, a family church. I think of how, what a variety the body of Christ is today. What a variety we have in this church place and in this church building five days, seven days a week, and how different people are in different backgrounds. And we have an opportunity when somebody touches the church, whether they touch this building or they touch somebody's life who is a a part of this church, that it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to love. It's an opportunity to convey God's truth. Jesus is the foundation of the church, and he's our teacher. And he says so much about this part of who we are as a church and and who we are united as a church, how important unity is in the church. This is Jesus speaking in John chapter 17. The next story after this scripture is the story of Jesus' arrest, so we know it was right at the end. It's on Jesus' heart. Listen to what he says in John chapter 17, verse 23. Would you go to that next one, please? I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and that you have loved them as you have loved me. 
This is Jesus praying. These are words from a, 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 a several chapters of Jesus' last night on earth. The last night before he was arrested and put on trial and crucified. This is what Jesus was talking about. This is what Jesus was praying about. He was praying about the church. He's praying about the body. He's praying about who we are as Christians. He is the one who is speaking here, and he is the one that is praying. You might call this the last prayer of Jesus. It could be that when he was on the cross, he was praying, and he did pray to the Father. So, But this is the last prayer that Jesus spoke when he was with his disciples. I mean, this is at the end. Some people call this the Gethsemane prayer of Jesus. And this is literally the last thing Jesus prays before he's arrested, according to John chapter 17. Think about that. The last thing Jesus prays before he's arrested. What does he pray about? What is he thinking about? You think, well, maybe he's thinking about what's going to happen to him and how he's going to handle that. But no, Jesus is praying about the future church. He is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane in chapter 17. At the very end, he is praying for the church. He's praying about what kind of church we would be, what kind of church his disciples would be, and and those that were gathered around him. But he specifically says, I'm not just praying for you to those disciples, but for all those who will come to the faith, all those who will believe, all those that will be a part of the, the church. I mean, we are three verses from the arrest of Jesus, and he's praying for us, I believe, in the days of the church and who you and I are. This is what is on his heart and his mind Just imagine the anguish of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and other scriptures, other gospels mention and talk about how he is. He's praying there and he's sweat drops of of blood and, and he's urgently praying and he's trying to get his disciples to stay awake and pray with him and they're they're not able to. They're so exhausted and tired they fall asleep. But what is Jesus praying about there? He's praying about the cup that it will pass. And he's praying for his disciples. He's praying for the church. The Gethsemane prayer of Jesus. Three verses away from his arrest. And what's he praying for? He's praying for you. And he's praying for me. And he's praying for the Mifflinburg church. I know that seems like, wow, is he really? You know, what he says there, I'm not just praying for my disciples. I'm praying for all those who will come to believe all those that will be a part of the church. And I have to believe that that means he's praying for every generation of the church. He understands. He knows He knows that things are going to change and he's coming back. But even he says, I don't, I, only the Father knows when I'm returning again. The Father knows. So he's praying for us in the meantime. What kind of church are we going to be? Who are we going to be? This is what he's praying about, you and me. Back in verse 20, he tells us he is praying again for the future church. He is praying about all those that will be a part of the church. And this is his prayer. This is his prayer. Number one, he's praying for the church. I said that, his followers. But he's praying for the future church, for every church. So understanding that Jesus is praying for us is the first part of it. And then the second part is... Well, what is he praying for us? He's praying for unity. 
He's praying that the body of Christ will be united. That we will be one in who we are and our purpose. That we will be one in how we live out that faith. That oneness is so important to Jesus. And he says that, and we're going to read several other scriptures. I I looked up about 35 scriptures about unity in the church. So that's how many are in the New Testament, where it's mentioned about being one, being one in purpose. But here, three verses before Jesus arrested, he's praying about unity in the church. And he's praying about the witness of the church. Not only the the unity of the church, but the witness of the church. And he says that this is how the world's going to know. This is how the world's going to know that you're really my disciples, is that you are one. You go back and read that scripture again. I'm going to read it here from chapter uh, 20, verse 17. I thought it was on there. Did Did I lose that? Hannah, would you find that scripture there for me? Verse 23, John chapter 17. Let me read it again. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Those words that are in there, complete unity. Think about that. Was Jesus out of his mind? Did he, is it possible that our church can be completely united? Does that what, is that what Jesus wants for us? Then the world will know that you have sent me and that you have loved as you have loved me. Then there'll be a witness. There'll be a genuine look of people on us that we are the disciples of Jesus. Then the world is the key, the word I was looking for there, and I, I said it wrong, but that's what I was looking for. Then the world will know that we're Jesus' disciples. That unity will bring a knowledge and a witness to people of genuineness. What's the key to that? What does Jesus tell them that the the key to unity is? I think it goes back. There's really no substitute for it. This is the key to be abiding in Christ. To be abiding in Christ. That we are listening to the Holy Spirit. Please go on to that next slide. We are watching, we are waiting, we are listening for what God's Spirit says to us in the church. I mean, that's what we're hungry for. That's what we are thinking about and focused on and talking about. Jesus, what do you want me to do today? Without that abiding, there can be no unity and there can be no witness. But Jesus calls us to an abiding relationship with him connected to him i know i told the story i brought in one day my grapevine that i had accidentally snapped off with my new power mower all my grapes all the leaves they turned brown within a week i remember bringing that thing in here and holding it up it was like a week all the hopes that i had about my grapes were gone in an instant What are the hopes of our church? What are we hoping will happen in this church? It will happen when we're abiding in Christ. It will happen when our focus is is on being what and where and who Jesus calls us to be. 
abiding with Christ. Without me, Jesus said earlier in this chapter, you can do nothing. Without me, you you can go nowhere. Without me, the the church's results will will not be what you're hoping they're they're going to be. And so the question is, what, what can I do to make sure that my life is abiding in Christ? What are the things that I can do to to make sure that I'm listening and and I'm holding on to and I'm embracing the the Holy Spirit. Colossians chapter 3 verse 13, several verses. I said there's so many of them that we could look at this morning, but reading Colossians chapter 3, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together, and there it is again, in perfect unity. Who does that? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings together all of the the love and unity and, and melds that together on us so that we will have that witness for God. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves. The call that God's word gives us is to see people for who God sees them and how God sees them and their needs and and to to have an attitude of servanthood to other people. The unity of the church, by all men, they will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Ephesians chapter 4, if you have your Bible, I want to Uh, ask you to open, and I'm going to read six verses from chapter 4. Again, these are Paul's words about the identity of the church. Talked about Jesus three verses before he's arrested, and here Paul is writing to the Ephesian church about the the same importance. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. These are Paul's words about the unity of the church, about the identity of the church, how important it is that we understand that that we have a calling. He used that word, I urge you. Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus, I'm, I'm going to urge you about some things. I mean, man, this is important. Get a grip, get a hold of it. And remember the calling God's given to the church. Remember this high calling that God has given to you as a Christian to be a part of the work of the church. Your calling as a Christian is so important. You might think, well, that's somebody else's job, or that's my Sunday school teacher's job, or that's somebody that, you know, uh, they have it all together. No, the high calling is for every believer who would say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. You have a high calling. You have a high calling where you live. Those of you that are in school, out for the summer, but those of you that are in school, you have a high calling when you're at school. You have an opportunity by your faith and your life to show other people that you know who Jesus is and he makes a difference in your life. It is a calling and all of us have it who are Christians. 
All of us have it today who are here. If, if you're here today and you say, yes, I, uh, I want to be a, a disciple of Jesus, then your, your calling is so important. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You've already received the calling if you're a believer. Live your life worthy of it. How high it is. How precious it is that God is calling you to live your life. It is to be lived with a completeness, the term here in this scripture is. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely, completely. Something about all in. Something about 24 hours a day. Seven days a week. God wants a completeness. And what does he want us? He wants us to to be living out these qualities of humility, gentleness, and patience, love, the fruit of the Spirit. God's calling for you is that you live out where you're at, where you're in school, where you're at work, where you're at home, this fruit in a completeness, in a perfect way. God wants all of us to live out that faith. He calls on us to make every effort. Make every effort. Do everything that you can to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. God puts that on every believer to take the responsibility for unity in the church. Paul says, I urge you. Jesus says to us, make every effort, not on just good days or certain days or not part-time, but every effort to keep the unity. Now the question is, is there anything I can do to strengthen the unity of the body of Christ? I think the question for us today as we come to a moment of, of holy communion together is to, is to ask you, is there anything that you can do in your life to strengthen the unity of the body of Christ? Is there any attitude inside of my heart or my life that the Holy Spirit would want to come and speak to? Is there any motivation? Is there anything about why I do what I do or, or how I live out my choices that impact the body of Christ? And the question is, God, what do you want to say to me about my attitude in my life. It's a very real question. Is there anything I can do to strengthen the unity of the church? As we receive communion in just a moment, I'd like to ask you to give that a prayer and a thought. You might call it preparing for communion. A couple different places when we read about communion, we read about the importance of being prepared, about checking ourselves, allowing God's Spirit to look at us and, and examine us. That's the word that Paul uses, self-examination, saying, God, what do you want to say and do in my heart, in my life, in my spirit, preparing our soul for God? Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to ask you to pull a hymn book out of your rack, and I'm going to ask you to turn to number 668. The church is one foundation. I was reading this uh, hymn Friday and then yesterday as kind of reading it several times over and thinking about it and thinking about how important and true it is. 
when we receive communion and we think about who we are as a church, that we remember whose church it is. And the high value of the calling of the church in every one of us. I'm going to ask you to sing this with me, a cappella. I thought maybe we'd do the first verse and the third verse and the fourth verse. Three verses of it today as we prepare for Holy Communion. If you're at home and you have that bread or a piece of cracker and something to drink, I want you to to hear the, the words of this song today and think about the foundation and think about who we are and what what we are as a church and how God can help us to be more focused and be united in being the church that God wants us to be. Sing with me this song. The church is one foundation, is Jesus Christ her Lord. She is His new creation, by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her and for her life he died. The third verse Mid toil and tribulation and tumult of her war, she waits the consummation of peace forevermore till with the vision glorious her longing eyes are blessed and the great church victorious shall be the church at rest yet she on earth hath union with god the three in one and mystic sweet communion with those whose rest is one. O happy ones and holy, Lord, give us grace that we, like them the meek and lowly, on high may dwell with thee. want to invite you to take the, the communion cup if you're here this morning or at home and you're watching or listening and understand that this is Jesus' body that was broken for us. He was broken so that the church would have purpose and meaning and strength and unity and today we have the opportunity to take communion as a local church family and celebrate that Jesus died for us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your body which is broken. I'm thinking of that night of Gethsemane as you prayed and, and much of that prayer is recorded in John. And we heard, Lord, the passion in your heart for the church. Help us to be the church that you want us to be. God, help us to have the hearts that you want us to and that we will have that 
witness and testimony in the people around us, Lord, I pray. Help us to understand how high and important that calling is. Help us today to worship you and celebrate you and call out to you and be hungry for you and recognize that you died for our sins and we have life in your name. We thank you for who you are today. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you now to take the bread and break it and uh, receive it, the grace of God. Amen. And then the cup, the juice, the blood of Jesus, which cleanses from all, uh, all sin. This morning, communion is an opportunity to humble ourselves before Jesus, to do that examination and say, Jesus, is there anything in my heart or my spirit that you want to speak to today? Communion is an opportunity to confess that, to believe that, and to call out to a great God who hears our needs. So receive the juice and thankfulness of God's forgiveness and grace. Dear Jesus, I thank you today for the incredible gift of life that we have in your name. We thank you for the church. We thank you for how precious the church is. We thank you for the body of Christ. God, help us to understand how high the calling is to be the people that you've called us to be. Help us, I pray. Thank you for your church. Thank you for this church. Thank you for all those that are a part of it. God, may you give us strength and wisdom and direction. And God, help us this week that we'd have a great Bible school, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for being here today. So glad you are. Looking forward to the week. Pray for Bible school. Those that will be here, may God help us to have a great time together. God bless.